Hello, this is Wayne Highlander, National Sales Manager, Bonus Jesus. And I'm Rob Johnson, the new starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. In your dreams, buddy. All right, we've got a really exciting episode uh, today. Uh, we're going to be talking with Sprig Lynn, uh, who's with Universal Floors out of Washington, D.C., about historical floors. Uh, he's a very talented guy with a long history and legacy in this industry, and he's going to, be, he's going to share a lot of great knowledge on, on, uh, on uh, historic floor work and more. But before we get to that, I have to uh, I have to uh, tell you a story. And you know what? We're going through that coronavirus thing, so maybe everybody can use a laugh anyhow. But um, I we were at a sales meeting, a phone sales meeting down in Florida, and uh, we had a we had an afternoon that we could kill. And my coworker Eileen in the marketing department and I we we started. Well, what can we do with this this afternoon? And uh, I I looked up some of the best things to do in Florida, and lo and behold, I, I came across the Stetson Museum, which kind of ties into this episode. So the Stetson Museum is a very, you know, it's a, it was a home of the guy that, uh, you know, from Stetson Hats, you know, and he come, you know, world famous with his, all these Stetson Hats. So I I asked Eileen if she would like to go, and she said, yeah, I'd love to go. It sounds great. So um, I... Uh, I called and I got the ranch machine, and so I, I emailed them and I said, you know, I'm here with my, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to go to the, um, uh, two of us would like to go to your uh, tour today, and they said it sold out. So um, I said, all right, well, uh, you know, I'm, my wife is from Sweden. I told her she, I, I upgraded Eileen to my wife, <laughs> and said, and said that uh, she's from Sweden and she's got a heart set on coming to Florida. One of the things she really wanted to do is go to the at the museum, could they make an exception and make room for a couple more people? So they said that they would they would look into it and what have you. And, and uh, so uh, finally they got back and told us, yes, we can make room for two more people, but it's going to be kind of crowded. But the fact that she you know, came all the way from Sweden, she has her heart set on going to the, the museum that we'll let her in. So when we got there, we met the other people on the tour. And I, I, um, they said, oh, you're, you're the guy with your wife is in Sweden. I said, yes. So Eileen has blonde hair, and she could pull off Sweden. So uh, too young to be my wife, but whatever. <laughs> so, uh, but I introduced her as Svetlana, not Eileen. I mean, I don't know any Sweden names, but I figured that that's close enough. So I said, "This is my wife, Svetlana. She's here from Sweden." And Eileen and I was facing all these group of people who, uh, and I said that she doesn't speak any English. She understands English really well, but she doesn't really speak English very well. So um, as we we went on the tour, the guy would show us the different things. And I said, you know, this is indoor plumbing right here. I said, let me explain this to Svetlana. I said, Svetlana never used indoor plumbing until she, after she was 19 years old. She would have to go to the bathroom outside. And she wants to strangle me and absolutely strangle me now. And then uh, we went through another room, and the guy was explaining some stuff. And I, and I asked if he could hold on. And my wife was very simple. She doesn't understand very well, so I'll slow it down. And, and they were looking at her with such pity, uh, probably because they think she's married to me as well. But uh, I, I know there's going to be payback somewhere in my lifetime from Eileen, who's actually a very nice lady in uh, marketing. And when we got out, she punched me in the shoulder uh, when the whole thing was over. So did you enjoy yourself oh, I, there, uh, Svetlana? I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Can, can we hear the other side? To, uh, Eileen, can you tell <laughs> the other side to the story now? Yes. 
<laughs> well, he tells me I'm going to this. Like we we're you know, he's like he said, we're at the sales meeting and neither one of us wanted to go. So he tells me I'm going to this museum and sells it saying that there's, you know, sixteen patterns of the nation's most rare and intricate parquet wood floors. I'm like, sold, oh, I'll go. Sounds good. So we roll up. And Wayne is old, but we were the two youngest people there. <laughs> so we go in, start the tour, and we're thinking, you know, they're going to be talking about the history of the museum or the home, you know, just, you know, the architectural details, including the flooring. It was nothing like that. It was holiday season um, right before Christmas. So all the rooms were decorated in a theme for Christmas. And that's exactly what the tour was. So as we're going through, I could tell Wayne's completely bored. So then he starts in with all of the, you know, this Svetlana stuff. So we're standing in the kitchen, which was remodeled. And that's where he says, oh, you have indoor plumbing here. Svetlana hasn't had, you know, it was nine. She was 19 before she used indoor plumbing. And every, and I'm in the back of the room. Everybody's head whipped around and stares at me. And I can't say anything because he prepped everybody that I don't speak English. I mean, how can I live in the United States for that long and marry for that long? And I don't know English. Well, so you know how, he like, did mention to everybody that you were simple, too. So, Well, it gets better from there. So you know how, like, you know, you're, you're riding in the back of the car as a kid and you're fighting with your brother, your sister, and your parents are, like, trying to whack you? Yeah, I couldn't do that. So anytime he came near me, I would pinch on the inside of his elbow to get him to stop. But he wouldn't. He just kept on going. He's making friends with all of these people and insulting me along the way. He's talking to one guy about trapping something. And, uh, oh, yeah, I used to trap. And Svetlana used to trap, too. And so they look at me. And then he looks at, and then he looks at me. And then he looks back at them. And he's like, yeah, she's not too smart. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I tell you, yes. Payback, Wayne. Payback. I'm never going like anywhere That sounds like it was your last day trip ever with Wayne. It, yes. <laughs> it was. The floors were beautiful, though. Uh, live and learn, Eileen. Yeah. Live and learn. <laughs> I did. Well, thanks for being a good sport, Eileen. And uh, appreciate hearing your side of the story. Uh, incidentally, the Stetson Museum had the most fabulous hardwood floors in them. And um, they never talked about the floors. They never talked about the history of the floors. They never talked about the, you know, the, the, the craftsmanship and the flooring. They talked about the carpets, the drapes, the curtains, everything else, but, but no flooring. We are talking with Sprig Lynn today. I have over 60 years in business now, I believe. Aren't you the oldest floor company in that area? Yeah, yes, sir, since 53. Fifty-three. Yeah, was it your? Well, why don't you why don't you start by giving us a little bit of background about yourself? Well, I'm a multiple generation wood floor wood floor man. Uh, my father started the company after uh, he, he went into World War II as a young man, a uh, young teenager, and got out. And after he got out of school, he, he started Universal Floors. So it's basically been a a family business ever since then, and we're, we're actually in the nation's capital, so that's where we operate out of. I, I love to see the, uh, I love the history of it, and uh, the family pictures, and the old bands back in those days, and the guys would sometimes wear the fedora hats, and 
you know, dress up real nice and change uh, at the at work and go to work in their work clothes. So it was a different era, wasn't it? <laughs> it, it certainly was. Uh, uh, we, we had to bring in, uh, a, or my father had to bring in a lot of labor from uh, back in the uh, early 50s. He sent uh, school buses up through the uh, Appalachian Mountains, uh, wow. down through uh, Southern Virginia, and then he sent them down to uh, North Carolina out of the tobacco fields. And we brought a lot of labor to Washington back in the day. Is that right? That's interesting. Yeah, um, some of them are, are, are still still uh, still working away. They were definitely old school. Most of them were about a third grade education, but they were masters in laying things out and doing floors. Wow. Wayne's done a lot without uh, a great education. Wayne has come <laughs> a long way with that third grade education. That's nothing to, I'm, I'm so proud of you, Wayne. I appreciate that, Rob. Itself, yeah. No problem. <laughs> so one of the reasons why we're talking to Spriggland today is we want to talk about working on historic floors. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of people, if you, if you don't know who Spriggland is and are not familiar with his work, I think you know, you're a multiple four of the year winner, Sprig. Yes. Most important thing is uh, every floor of the year was a, a payable job, a, a bid job, and uh, which is, you know, which means a lot to us. Yeah, no question. Well, so let's talk about working on some of these uh, historic uh, floors. And, um, you know, I don't understand what the big deal is. I mean, I don't you get out of the, the big sander with 36 grid on, put the headphones on with Pantera and just start knocking it out. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'd like to talk about, you know, um, your expectations going into these jobs with the customers and, uh, and some of the things you take into account. And sometimes it might not even be a stand and finish job. So maybe we can talk about how you approach these jobs. Well, we, we look at it a couple different ways. One is actually who's hiring us and what are their expectations and what do they want to accomplish? Sometimes it's, we put in two categories, historic restoration and preservation. So preservation is more of maintenance, preventing things, stabilizing boards, foaming uh, in areas. You know, a loose board is a, is a death sentence to a historic floor because it just gets worse. So a lot of times we have to stabilize it. So we're not really taking that patina off the floor. We're basically maintaining it. That's one. The other one is historic restoration. So when we're able to sand the floor, uh, a, a lot of these preservationists say it's part of the historic fabric of the floor or the, the house. So we can, we're very limited in what we can do. But if we are going to sand it, we take the uh, passive sanding approach where we uh, take off as little so, as possible. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. So you're using the gentlest means possible to remove the, 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 the finish, right? So maybe kind of explain that when you mean by passive approach. Well, uh, you're not putting 36 on it and, and cranking <laughs> down and, and throwing a hammer forward. So some of these floors, it depends, you know, each one's a you know, a little bit different, just like a, a standard job. And if wide plank 1700s floors have great undulations, you obviously have to stand with the contour of that. 
So sometimes we get away from less power equipment and more what's on your, you know, your left and right arm. So we, we do a lot more handwork. And of course it's, it's more physically demanding and the price goes up, but uh, sometimes you have to work more with your hands or uh, certain equipment uh, like your, your, your power drive where you can have different heads that are less aggressive uh, so right. less less machinery sometimes is better, but we you, you want to take off as little wood as possible. So, Sprig, let's talk about expectations. Where you know you're not answering to sometimes just it's hard enough just talking to the husband of the house or the wife of the house or what have you. But I would imagine there's committees that you have to uh, uh, do presentations for or or you know to explain what you're going to do and and uh, I think there's a fair amount of pressure surrounding that. So how do you navigate your way through those? Uh, type of expectations? Well, there's a couple ways we do it. One is we're always shooting for 100%, and they might get 80%. But we don't oversell the job. What we do is usually try to find the most damaged area and do a test area to let them know that this is going to be the final product. And then we can actually soften some of those issues with cosmetic touch-ups. We, we, we do a reasonable amount of cosmetic touch-ups uh, with uh, pins and dye pins and, and dyes and stains. And it's amazing in certain fillers. It's amazing what you can do to fool the eye. And uh, it, it, it really increases the final product quite a bit, that last uh, 5%, 10%. By doing minor, minor uh, touch-ups. So, it's, but when it's we're dealing with larger groups, huh? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I'm saying group? sometimes, like it, it, it depends on the level we're working at. We do a decent amount of work for the White House Historical Society. So usually, the first meeting there's about ten people, and then by, by the end of the project, no one's around. So they'll ask questions like, "Well, how are you going to do it?" And we'd say. Well, we don't know yet, but when we get done, it's going to look great. They all laugh, and then they start dwindling down and let us do our job. But um, these people, just like floor guys and, and uh, builders, these these specialized architects and curators, they network in a small, tight group. And once you've pleased one and they see you're you're excited about doing your job, it's amazing how they pass your name around. And the price is not so much important anymore. It's they want to get it done right. and done right. And what's fantastic about this historic restoration is it's continuous work. Once you finish the job, you got to maintain it. And year after year, you're going back in there. And it's an untapped so, market, I believe. You mentioned a couple of things, and I think it's very interesting when trades cross over. You know, we picked stuff up from painters, uh, from fence carpenters, and from you mentioned faux painting and some of the pencils and stuff like that. Uh, so you've had to incorporate. It's not it's not as simple as you know uh, a break, you know, buffing the floor and put another coat on or what have you, or using oil base or water base. Or I mean, you're dealing sometimes with shellacs and varnishes and and the product, you know from from way back in the old days where patina is it would be very difficult to match. So. 
I imagine you do you do take some from like Mohawk pens and Mohawk classes and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, well, of course. I mean, we go back to the old school where my dad would boil uh, walnut husks and use that colored water to water pop floors and water pop individual boards. So uh, crossover, there's always something you can learn from another trade. Uh, it, we had one painter that would always do incredible work and he could throw anything and he always hit everything. He always hid his labels. He, he colored over them, and and I'd have to sneak up on him at lunchtime. I'd do everything I could, and then finally he he would show me. And uh, as a kid, my dad would say, "If you're laying a, a, a demanding floor, if someone comes in, be polite, put your tools down, and quit working. Don't show them what you're doing, because a lot of people do guard their trades." But once you, uh, there was one guy that does handrails. He's fantastic. And he had the smoothest finish I've ever seen in my life. And I couldn't figure out what he was doing. And finally, I was watching through the window. He finished it off with wax. And it made it smooth as glass. And so we we try to pick up on what we can. And and we're pretty friendly on on the job site. But my father always says, if you can create the patina, of old floor, you, you've made it. And it, it takes a while to get to that point. And sometimes yeah. you can create it and sometimes you can't. But once you get that look where someone wants to get down on their knees and physically touch your floor, they love it. That's that's when you when you made it. Hey, can we touch on something? You were just talking about, um, you said this historical restoration stuff is an untapped market. And I, I'm so glad that you're on talking about this today because this is exactly where my my son is heading. He's got a small um, wood floor company up in upstate New York, where I'm, you know where, where I'm from, and he has really started to get into this historical restoration. There was actually a couple of historical society that started to follow him, and then they um, you know gave him a job or two. But I think the he loves the work because it's just so outside of the box and just like you were talking about. Uh, it's very interesting and different all the time. And, you know, the one issue that he has, and we're talking about it all the time, is, and he's new, you know. He's fifth generation, but he's the first Johnson generation to get into the historical restoration. His real thing is pricing. How does he price this stuff out? Do you have any tips for him on that? Well, uh, <laughs> it, it is difficult because we we approach we when we know the the fine work, we can put a price on. And sometimes there's gray areas, and sometimes we have to put a price. On the work, we know how long it takes, but if we don't know, we, we got to put it per day and give it a, a whatever it is, $900 a day, $1,500 a day, plus material, plus reasonable markup. So once he, he gets through a few of them, some people want to set price, but there's some things that are unforeseen. You don't know what you're getting involved with. When you're taking up a floor, there could be more work underneath the floor than there is on top. The easiest part is putting it back together again. It's stabilizing it and uh, 
putting all it. Well, of course, if you go to the National Wood Flooring Association, you take some of those jigs and medallion classes, and you make some of those jigs and all these repetitive cuts or curves are, are fairly easy once you get set up right. And that will uh, increase your profit because you can make these borders much faster. But a lot of times we, we will build, build them per day. And people don't want, people want a set price. But if the scope of work isn't defined, it's almost impossible. And sometimes you go in per day and then you gravitate into, okay, I pretty much know the scope of work. We can change it down to a fixed price. So there's no true exact method, but you don't want to go in there and lose your backside. And some of the jobs are best to <laughs> that was to the walk only away advice that, that was the only advice I could give him when we were talking that out was, well, you don't want to be low. You, you know, if anything, you, you want to be on the high side. But, but that was great. That's a great answer. I think a lot of people are going to uh, appreciate that answer because I agree with you. I think that this is a huge untapped market, and it's definitely a way to um, differentiate yourself from other guys in the in the area, in your area. I mean, you you learn this, and no one's going to take. Again, my followers said, more you learn, the more you earn. The more you learn, you can take that to Texas, California, Oklahoma, Maryland, D.C. You're going to take that knowledge with you. That You can get tools anywhere. It's that knowledge that you learn. Yeah. It's absolutely incredible. You And, and NWFA and, and, and partnering up people like yourselves is a fast track to this knowledge. When I was a kid, we barely knew people. 20 miles away in the floor business. Everyone stepped, stayed in their own own lane. They, they, they stayed to themselves. Now, heck, with this social media, you can get on and talk to anyone all over the world and get all kinds of questions answered. I got good at repairs and fowing out of necessity. My father would say, go collect that check. Don't come back without it. So <laughs> do whatever you got to do. And... and and well, I didn't do it. Well, it doesn't matter. You collect that check, so you, I had no choice. And then I learned. Uh, Joe Boone taught me a lot. Uh, uh, Daniel Boone's brother on uh, on phone when you cross over because he was more of a painter. I guess he was a floor guy and painter or foer. And uh, if you can fool the eye, it's it's absolutely incredible what you can do with products like Mohawk. Absolutely incredible. It could be the difference between collecting the money and not collecting the money. So you bring up something I'm glad you brought up is uh, the NWFA jigs and medallion class. And you know, you can you can probably figure some of these things out yourself. I mean, if you're a really good craftsman, you can probably figure these things out. But the learning curve that gets shortened so much by going to these classes is mind blowing to me. I mean, I, the um, these guys are so talented and so willing to share it, as you like yourself, to share the knowledge that they have that's taken generations sometimes to learn. So, you know, yeah, you can do it the hard way, and I've been there myself trying to figure something out. It's taken way too long. Yes, at the end, did I get it? Yeah, I got it. But by going to an NWFA class, one of these uh, installation classes, or even Santa Fe's classes, man, it just really shortens the w- Wayne, you're, you're 100, 100% right on. Experience is a expensive endeavor and it takes sometimes a whole generation to get really experienced. 
But when you can go into the NWFA and people are willing to just spill all their knowledge to you, the first class I ever took, you know, I, I've taken every class, I've taught every class, I've served on the board, I immersed myself into the National Wood Flooring Association. And there's some people that don't get it. But not only going to those classes, you learn, but you network and you become friends with these people that may have experienced a certain method or a way, they've already been through the learning curve and they can get you a fast track to get it done without costing you a lot of money. That's the main thing is, is the, the time to learn that you did it wrong. Do you remember uh, uh, Gene Klotz? Yep. Yep. Uh, With his okay. scroll saw. So, uh, he was... Yeah. So I'll tell you how stupid I was. Uh, Greg, I uh, went to my one of my I think it was my first NWFA class, and uh, he was one of the instructors. And of course, I knew who he was. I mean, you know, he was in my eyes, man, that is the top of the ladder. And I wanted to learn how to do that scroll saw stuff, but uh, and I was assigned to, and he was my instructor. And I thought to myself, I looked on his shirt, he said like San Francisco Bay Area. I thought, well, he's not going to want to show me anything. He's from right here. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> I mean, uh, unleash the vault. I, there's no way I could keep up with uh, with the amount of knowledge and talent that guy had. Uh, but the, and I see it from from yourself. I see it from Lenny Hall. I see it from Jason with Elquest, uh, uh, Blackhawk Ward. I mean, on and on and, and Jill and all these instructors are so giving of their of their of their abilities and their their, their knowledge that it, it's mind blowing to me. So I'm glad you brought that up. One thing I also want to touch on, and, and Rob, you kind of you kind of kind of led me down this path, is uh, you know what to charge for this. Uh, it seems to me that when you're doing this kind of work, there's two qualities that you got to have. One is you got to have the confidence to to ask the price that you're getting, uh, and number two, you got to have the you got to have patience because this is no ordinary animal. I mean, you talked about a herringbone floor that you're having to reconstruct the whole the whole floor. Uh, let's talk about that for a minute. Are you talking to me, Wayne? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, there's a lot know, of good. Guy, there's a lot of great floor guys on this line. <laughs> well, Rob can't spell hearing bones. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking to you. <laughs> sometimes, uh, Wayne, sometimes Wayne forgets that that anybody else is listening. That's he's just going on in his own mind. <laughs> I have to ring the bell every once in a while to bring him back. There was a well, question in some place, but we lost track of that. Probably an herringbone. So we we had a, yeah. a, a ancient ancient herringbone floor, and it was made out of Santa Maria wood. And uh, with my research, it was actually against the law to possess it. He can't even own this wood. So this was a, a extremely old floor, and it was removed carefully removed off this historic house, Stephen Decatur's house there right near the White House, and stored up in the attic of this mansion. And they labeled every single piece with a number, And but they but they lost the key. What started where, when, who, how, and uh, so we had to put it all back together. And that was a feat in its, its own. Then they didn't want us to glue or nail the floor. Then they wanted us to bring it back to life without sanding it. So... Um, uh, we we did it, we we did it, but uh, it it we put our heart, body, and soul into it, and we did a uh, the finishing part was uh, mostly with oils. That's like when you're 
some of these older floors, you, you can't put a surface finish on it. It'll peel. It's got so much oil or wax on it or on the sides that it, it will fail every time. So that's when products like the craft oil comes in handy. And yeah. when, when you're buffing over this floor, sometimes you can't use a traditional buffer. And if you do, you need something like a Tampica brush with the white head that will glide through the floor that won't pick up splinters. Or we actually bought 50, 60-year-old mini buffers without the weight. That works works well. Uh, so uh, a lot of these uh, older floors, everyone is is unique, but people are happy at the end of the day because it does take a lot more time, a lot more time, a lot more hand. And that's patience. And I think you have to have you have to have confidence to have patience. I think they're hand in hand to to allow yourself the time to do the job right. Uh, and I think as I got older in this trade, I learned that that they go hand in hand. Uh, guys in Tennessee yeah. want to rush through things or whatever because they don't have the confidence in knowing that, you know what, it takes this, and this is what it takes, and this is why I demand the money that I demand. I'm saying if you learn how to fill and fow and grain, even in a non, non-historic setting, it might be the difference between collecting that check and not. If you have a, a hickory floor or a walnut floor and you have sapwood in it, and they're talking about taking out the floor, if you, if you could just uh, throw that sapwood in, it's done. It's over with. It, it's amazing. So we, we concentrate on two things, old school and new school. And they're both equally fantastic. But if you can put them both together, you got a home run. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you quickly, uh, We uh, my brothers and I did a historic home in San Francisco. It was a 516 top mill floor. And a 516 top mill floor, more than probably any floor out there, is only as good as the subfloor underneath it because it's not tongue and groove. And if your subfloor is you know, it's not real good, you get a lot of the lateral movement. And, you know, at this time, we got, you know, I, I learned to trade brushing on finish. For 15 years, we brushed every job. And we got away from that. And, you know, when we started rolling, I threw that brush as far away as I could. But in that particular job, because of that particular setting, because there was so much lateral movement in the floor, I went back and hand brushed that floor as soon as I could. And instead of putting three coats on, for instance, we put two coats on. Because I didn't want any excess. Uh, that To me, now you're treating it like a piece of antique furniture. You know, it's not a – I don't treat it like a floor anymore. I just, you know, better than anybody. It's, it's, it's every – so you're you're grabbing tools that you've learned over the years that uh, every you know like like going to school is so important because all these things you can put in your toolbox that you might not use now but you know what you'll you'll use it down the road and all these that things, brush you know, Wayne that brush yep. that brush is fantastic because there's some floors with such wide gaps if someone uses a T bar or something like that you're putting too much finish in between that brush you have yep. total control over it. Exactly right. And uh, you talked about uh, Daniel Boone. I learned something from Daniel Boone that, uh, you know, he, he, he would always put his brush back in the jacket. Uh, when he was done, he'd comb it out and clean it and put it back in his jacket. He said, if you ever lose a jacket, just throw the brush away. <laughs> I, uh, you talked about some of these pattern floors. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Lebanon flooring in Kentucky, but um, mm-hmm. they, uh, I got a chance to visit his factory one time, and uh, they brought me into his office, and they showed me uh, – the patterns of the borders, these really intricate patterns, really fabulous patterns. And what struck me on these patterns was he had the pricing on them as well. 
and it would be four cents a linear foot, nine cents a linear foot, <laughs> eleven cents a linear foot. <laughs> I told him I'll take a bunch of those. So. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I think also, you know, when you're putting some of these floors back and you're working with some of these floors, you're not, you're, like I said, they're not going to be perfect because there's gaps in them, and there's there's because that over the years that that's the way the floor went. So is it a different mindset for you, Sprig? That you know. Sometimes I think that would be a, a challenge in itself. That they're not going to go back perfect. They're going to go back the way that they were. It, it you know showed you know maybe for hundreds of years, and that's just the way it goes. Is, is that a struggle? For yeah, you? Uh, yeah I, it was at one time. You know, everybody wants everything as flat as a pool table, and and perfect. Yeah. And uh, you know, some of these tools we can't use because they're not forgiving. They're going to cut it flat. So we sometimes we have to flat scrape them. Sometimes we can use uh, Festool makes some beautiful re, uh, resilient heads for their uh, palm sanders. Uh, your your uh, power drive is is another good choice. There there's a lot of you, you got to master all kinds of tools because you you come in on the job and uh, you got to switch from you got to have an A B C and D plan. Because not one, if you just learn one method, new school, you're you're not going to go very far with historic restoration. But we have a program; it's on our website called Choose to Reuse. So we salvage a lot of flooring, and and sometimes we get paid to salvage it, and we collect it and keep it because nothing, nothing is going to really resemble that old wood, but old wood. I mean, I, I can change the color, but that grain's so tight. It's been so we save a lot. The choose to reuse program works fantastic for us, and uh, and the grain. So we look at the age of the wood, the grain, the color, the sheen, the length, just about just about everything. And if you can hit on most of those points, you're you're going to match it up fantastic. Boy, that's a gold mine to get some of that old flooring. That is something. That is great information there. We 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 say uh, we we get quite a bit of it. Go ahead. Yeah, and I, I think what I was going to what I was going to ask you is um is that you know when you came across doing this work, uh, you know it's hard to separate yourself in this industry, um, and you know by going to NWFA and networking those type of things you can do that, but um you could have said no to this type of work. You know what I mean? You could have said no. You know we're you know we make our money staying and finishing the bubble or you know installing or what have you. Um, this isn't all you guys do, right? I know you do a lot of other work other than this. We, we bend wood. We do modern. We do traditional. We hand scrape. We The more that you're diversified, uh, we do sports floors. We do gymnasiums. We recoat. We do maintenance. When things are on a downturn, you got more opportunity. So we... we uh, you know, it's it's hard to say, but we specialize in multiple things because once one thing slows down, uh, we, we can resort to others. But if you learn, if you have the knowledge, see, some people have lack of work and they throw themselves into a situation where they're going to fail because they don't know it. So if you do know it, you can always, out of necessity, reduce your price to a certain degree. But if if you know 
if you have a diverse portfolio, what you can do, you, your opportunities have just increased many fold. So with the historic restoration, I personally take it more of a challenge because it's, it's naturally fulfilling for me to be able to fix it. Number one, your competition is almost eliminated. Nobody wants to do it. I don't know why they don't have the patience. They think there's no money in it. And actually, there's more money in it. And you're not breaking your back or your knees. You're using your head and your hands and specialized equipment. And it's actually fun to reproduce a, a border or a floor. Well, and I think for some guys, let's say if you're an older floor guy and you want, you're, you're trying to slow it down and maybe you don't want to work as much, I mean, every distributor needs somebody they can call to replace the board somewhere, you know, on a pre-finished floor or match something or help them out in the, in the gym. So you can make really good money on repairs. Where you, instead of, you, you know, can make more, Wayne, Wayne, I believe you can make more money on repair work than you can the other type of work. It's amazing. Yeah. Here's one way we, this is one way we get some builders. If we're trying to increase our workload or get some more builders, everyone knocks on the builder's door and says, I'm the best in the world. I'll show up. I'll do everything perfect. I'm the best. Please hire me. We go, we take a different approach and it's worked for us. Give me some of your problems. Let me tell you, you have problems. I'll go collect that money for you. I'll get your four problem fixed. And the customer will sign off on the ticket. If I don't, don't pay me a penny. I'll go on my way. But if I do, here's my reasonable price to fix it. And then all of a sudden, I'm taking, I'm helping the guy. I'm taking care of some of his problems. And it's amazing. We had one problem where the guy had a maple border, a single board, and he wanted it to look like mahogany. And this floor guy for 20 years said, you're crazy. It can't happen. I've tried it three times. The guy called me and I said, if I can make that look like that, I need your work. And we, uh, I think we're on our 15th year with that customer. And I started adding up the work we got because of knowing how to make one maple border to look like a, a darker color is amazing. You're talking hundreds and thousands of dollars. So we take the approach, let's give us some of your problems because you know they all got problems and the other floor guy is, a little too comfortable, and the customer's crazy, and this and that. It doesn't matter. That that builder needs to collect his money. So if you can fold something and fill it, and grain it, and make it go away with a big smile on your face, customer's happy, builder's happy. Now you got everyone's always trying to get more work, and a lot of them actually don't even take care of their own customers that they already have. Yeah, it's a lot easier to take care of the. Yeah. I got you. But it's, it's a whole lot easier to take care of the customers you have than find new ones, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That takes but, a hey, a smile, a smile doesn't cost you a penny. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what an honor it must be for you guys to work in the, the nation's capital. I mean, that's pretty cool. You talk about history. It's where this is. This job is, you know, bright. Oh, jeez. I, I always say if our floors could talk what tales they'd tell. I tell you, they've. They've seen a lot. Uh, you know, we, we, we do a decent amount from from the highest office in the land to the Supreme Court to you name it. It's not because, I mean, we actually do good work, but we're, we're in that location where somebody has to do it. And we found these, these, uh, these buildings, they, they, they want to trust somebody. 
And but the key is when they call, you got to go. You got to go, and you, you're going to work in there until you finish. We got locked up in uh, Camp David, and I said, "What are the working hours?" He goes, "Until you get done, or until you get stain <laughs> on the floor." So we we work all day and night, and and uh, you know sometimes you get pulled over on the way home. You've been working for 22 hours, and they think you're drunk, but you said, "No, I've just been working 22 hours doing floors." But uh, no, it's it, 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 it's beautiful. But when we go into say you go into the White House or a place like that and it's really highly secured, you have to go in with extra equipment, extra boards, even if you don't have repairs to do, you have to bring it just in case. It's all being prepared, being prepared, being organized, being organized. And you got to go in there, and you'll probably spend more time being organized and prepared than you will actually doing the task of the work. But when you do, these people all network with each other. They'll call you up, call you up in a second, and – Usually price is second fiddle. They want it done and done right, but be fair and reasonable, and you're good to go. I'm the guy. I got a guy. Yeah, and, and it's just like the uh, the homeowners. I got a guy that can do it, and just in those architectural circles or in those historic places, they, they're they happy to, uh, to refer you, hmm. and uh, well, we, we, we love it. You know, it's also, uh, Sprague, a, a testament to the hardwood floors. I mean, the, the, the hard pine floors in George Washington's, at Mount Vernon's estate are still going strong after 250 years. I mean, what a testament to sustainability in our industry oh. for flooring. You know, it, it, instead it, of putting this it, LVT stuff in, you know. <laughs> oh, it, it's amazing. There's nothing that uh, will, will outlast it. And... Uh, I, I, you know, I go on those tours and I'm the only guy like getting on my knees and touching the floor and the docent or whoever's giving the tour, like what's this guy doing? He's feeling George Washington's floors. But, uh, and then when we're, when we're emulating old floors, we look at that stuff. How, how did the stairs wear out on the first two or three steps going up on the inside? And when we got to emulate that, we got to belly that out. And, uh, and one more thing is really important for historic restoration. You're talking about your son getting into it is take notes because you'll get through it from A to Z. And after a few months, you'll forget all the fine details. We we take notes all the time, like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, they took notes on every little detail they did. But if you take some basic notes on your floors, on your problems, how you resolved it, it's, it's, it's awesome to be go to go back and, and really, see how you did it and because you, you'll forget to a certain degree listen i i have been taking notes while you've been talking okay <laughs> great stuff i can't wait to talk to my kid about it and have my kid listen to this one but i gotta tell you that one line that i'm gonna i'm i'm sorry i'm stealing this line because i do all the training for bona the more you learn the more you earn and man you just sound like a a testament to that man Hey, I, I, I tell you what, because that goes with you, right, Wayne? Anywhere you go, California, Texas, wherever, that knowledge, you, my father said they can't take that away from you. Nowhere. And you, you got to bring your son up for one of these uh, one of these jobs. And, 
we, we were sent out to Philadelphia to do one, and I, I, I didn't want to do it. I'd never been to Philadelphia, but we took the train up. And I was the only one on the train with two of those old school wooden toolboxes. <laughs> Everybody was looking at me. They were trying to figure me out. It was so funny. Uh, but uh, they, they wanted this old house, 1700s. Uh, you couldn't put any finish on it. They wanted it brought back to life. And uh, we brought it back to life. So one point at uh, a time. We're, we're going to... Uh... Uh, uncharted territory right now in the world uh, with the coronavirus and you know your company being around would you say 1953 or 1958 yeah 53 uh, I mean, you, you guys have gone through uh, wars and depressions and boom and bust many times yeah yeah so how do you how do you navigate these waters as a company the first thing you do is major to communicate but you got to cut your overhead as fast as you can you got to hunker down, and we always cut from the top down. Uh, we, we cut we cut our pay, my brother and I, and my father just retired. He'd be 93. We, we cut from the top down, and we learned to li- live lean because my father always said, if the company's healthy, you're going to be healthy. Take care, of the, take care of the company. We don't have a lot of overhead. You got to cut your fixed overhead. You got to cherish every single job you do, that it's your last job, and and that that's going to get you more work. And we've got to go the extra mile. I mean, we're we're out there mixing up denatured alcohol and water and spray bottles, and we're misting things down. We're wearing our masks, our gloves, and people understand that we take it serious. And we contact. We got proactive. We started contacting all the private schools and all the gymnasiums and all the sports arenas and said, hey, we're ready to go. Uh, now, we, 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 we're we a certified uh, manufacturer because we make uh, parquet and herringbone, not on a large scale, but we make it. So we have a special exemption where we can travel through Maryland, Virginia, and D.C. with, with uh, to, to do our work. But uh, the main thing is to cut, cut quick, Cut from the top down, live lean, and some people have never experienced a downturn. And it's going to be a downturn for a while, but we'll get out the other side. But you got to cherish those jobs, each and every one of them. You, you talked about cutting back. Uh, and Bona, I offered to cut Rob out of this podcast and save the money. <laughs> <laughs> back in the day. And it's a perfect can. 
And I, I told the fellow at Durasteel and they said they wanted to put the can of wax in their museum. I said, well, we got some other products, but uh, it, it's funny because it, it's good. I can I, I can talk to my father about. You know, they said they would. You know, they they were paying out three four cents a foot to hand nail floors, and uh, it's amazing. They were supplying installing floors for forty four cents a foot. And uh, so, so it, it, wow. Uh, so it brings up another question, Spring. I'm sorry, I got a lot of questions. I'm, I'm glad to have you on uh, because uh, it's been uh, I followed your career even before I knew you. Uh, I'm not, you know, I used to get all the hard before magazines, I still do, and, and go through. I love to see what guys are doing in different parts of the country now. That you know, I'll look at Florida years and I'll sit down and try to figure out how, which way they went on this and what they did to it and what have you. And so, with you guys being around as long as you have, and, and we talk about a millennial workforce now, what what is the what are the challenges? And it's not to bag on millennial, millennial guys at all, but but the, you know they're they're it's a different generation. And, and how do you handle the workforce today and, and getting new guys? Well, you 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 have to be a little more tender today. <laughs> My father would just go through and you better get this done. That's it. But now you got to, people are a lot more sensitive. So my sensitive side has, has, has come out. Uh, but we found that uh, we try to find family people, people that care. I, I can, I, I can teach a guy that cares, but uh, bad habits are, are a tough one to break. But uh, we, we try to, we make sure all our guys are paid first before we're paid. And uh, money is a motivator, but uh, it's it, it, it's a problem all over the United States. And I really think that craftsmanship with your hands are going to have a huge rebound in the United States, major rebound. And it's, it's going to be a fantastic thing because for a while there, it, it – it uh, we we got a joke when we're repairing the the lawyer's floors and took us two hours and we charged him nine hundred bucks and he said I'm a lawyer I don't even make that kind of money and the floor guy said well neither did I when I was a lawyer so then <laughs> the lawyer laughs and, and everything is or the doctor you know we throw in the doctor well, I'm a surgeon well when I was a surgeon I didn't make that money either <laughs> but also I I wanted to touch in on your uh, your power scrubber. Yeah, that that you know what we we clean a lot of floors. It's amazing how much revenue that can bring to a company. And when you take a video of you pouring off that, it looks like coffee out of that uh, container after they scrub the yep. floor. It's amazing. And when we do sports floors, we scrub it first with that. Or if we recoat, we scrub it first with that. That is another revenue. That's a fantastic revenue to clean the floor because people just uh, – wood floors get neglected all the way from the most famous places all the way down, and, and the floors get the most uh, use and abuse. And that uh, scrubbing machine is just one more tool in your toolbox where you can make some money, and it's actually – you know, it's not physically demanding. And it's uh, it's fantastic. I think that goes hand in hand with what you were talking about before, um, not only doing the restoration, but preserving that restoration. Because that, 
the one thing that I show people in the schools, it doesn't just clean, it extracts. And that extraction word is huge, I think. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it's perfectly designed because it's rotating with the grain of the wood. So it's in the older floor, it's not tearing things out. And, and you can put it on a lighter setting. It's fantastic. Uh, it's it's uh, It's an awesome tool. I love it. It's it's good to go. So if these guys just sand and finish or just install or do both, they need to open gals too. There's a lot of gals in the business now, but they need to open their horizons to historic restoration, cleaning, maintenance. Side. Yes, yes. We <laughs> there's your tender side. There you go. Oh Lord, but we uh, yeah. But that historic restoration is a really good challenge when, when you can. And, and one more thing is when you do not have the historic wood, always err on lighter, lighter wood because you can always make it darker. That's a big problem people have. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. If you, if you, Joe Boone's always showed me when he's filling, get the lightest, lightest color in the background first and then, then layer on top of that. And you're good to go. Interesting. Yeah, that was, uh, Joe Boone was a good man, no doubt. Yeah, and and, and well, you know, you go, you go to these schools and you always pick up something. But what you really pick up is your network. You get to know these people. You can pick up the phone yeah. and call Wayne, and, and he's got an answer for you. Yeah. It's uh, – um, you know, one of the cool parts of the school, and, and here's a, here's another reason why I love the NWPA school, Sprig, Sprig, is that you, in this world, you get out there and you're, you know, you're talking to builders, and there's a lot of pressure on you to install the floor now and do this now, and and, and and you know the right thing to do is not to, is to wait and acclimate the wood and all these things, and sometimes it feels like you fighting against the whole world. So when, when you go to the NWPA and, and you're around like money guys and you realize, you know what, there's a reason why I say this. I'm not making these rules on myself. You know, uh, and and it just kind of reinforces everything you 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 are are, are also preaching, and uh, and you get to meet good craftsmen from around the country and share ideas and stories and that kind of stuff. Man, it's uh-huh. you, you, you you know what you 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 go to a job and you got a builder, and you got elevated uh, moisture content that sub floor. And back in the day, you either you laid it or you walked away for a while. Now you can go out your your. Uh, your, your truck and you're making more money and you're solving a problem. That, that was a unbelievable product introduced in the market. Yeah. The, our, our 540 has been really good for us. And one of the interesting things, especially as it relates to, uh, to uh, historic floors, because a lot of times these historic floors were waxed and mm-hmm. the moisture would pass through the wax without any problem. But now if you're sanding these floors and you're putting poly on them, now that moisture is not able to pass through that finish as easily as, as the wax floors and actually a floor that's been there for years and years and not cut. Well, there was wax on it, and now you're putting poly on it, it's a different animal, and then well, all of a sudden the floor cut. Uh, so, um, yeah. yeah that's a- Wayne, they got, that exact, they got that exact problem at the vice president's house. I said, you got to, we waxed it for years. You got to wax it. And, and sure enough, uh, you got some urethane on its cup. Interesting. Yeah, Same for all problem. these years. Yeah, yeah the five. It, yeah, it, 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 uh, 
exactly. And, and sometimes you have to go back to an oil or craft oil or, or, or a wax on a floor because it's got so much foreign product in between the cracks that a surface finish will not work. It'll fail in the cracks. Yeah, good call. So, uh, uh, real quick, uh, since you bring up these big, big cracks, uh, and we, you get any tips for that, or, or um, uh, a lot of times, well, we, we, we probably got we probably got ten different ways, and it depends on how how much they want to spend. One is if someone really wants them to go away, uh, we we have to cut splines, larger splines that go the length of the board and match the grain up. And we glue it on one side so the floor could still expand and contract, but a lot of historic floors, the floor is not going to anywhere. Uh, but there's a lot of ways to do it, and some people just leave it the way it is. Yeah. Or um, if you can mix something with the uh, existing dust, it works, but if the crack is too big, sometimes it's best to leave it alone. And, and you know when you have those big cracks, Wayne, when you're coating in that floor, no matter if you vacuumed it a hundred times, you're going to pick up a certain amount of debris. It just keeps coming out of this crack, even if you vacuum it six times. Yeah. Well, you bring it back. So that's another that, man. good reason why the, the the brush, you know, hand brush. Yeah. Exactly right. So what what what's uh, what's uh, Bona's advice with this new uh, work atmosphere? Well, I mean, um, we're we're shut down for uh, for the foreseeable future. I mean, uh, at least probably another few weeks that we're not able to travel. But we're we don't like like we got to adjust. Also, we're taking this time to get better at, uh, on the office side of business, and uh, we are reaching out to all of our customers. It's, you know, these you know, floor guys don't get sick leave. They don't get stress leave. They don't get you know a lot of times holidays and paid vacation like other industries. I mean, so. Uh, you know, our customers are small business guys, and uh, we know that they're they're going through a lot of pain right now. So, you know, we're we're still around. We're reaching out to the guys. We're anything any way we can help. Uh, you know, Rob's Rob's family's in flooring. My my brothers are in flooring. All my friends, all our friends, are floor guys. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're we're all in it together, man. And just just hoping this thing. I really believe when we come out of the end of this, I mean, the economy was cranking before this went south. Oh, it's, it's going to double stick. crank. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, but uh, yeah, everybody, everybody gets it. Everybody gets in this floor business. It seems like the whole family. Every Thanksgiving, oh, we just talk about floors. <laughs> We're all around the table. But it, so, how is how is bonus supply? Are you have plenty of supply uh, out there? Yeah, great question on that. Yeah, and as soon as this thing happened, we anticipated uh, that, that that might be an issue. So the supply so far no issues with that um even good. here we're, we're we're good on that one now we we make all of our adhesive down in north carolina so those guys are still cranking away and uh so far so good so yeah. plus all the sport product was already already made and everything you know just because of the upcoming uh beginning of the season so and actually all the bona products were the same way everybody you know this is when we get geared up we're already geared up by now so we can start filling orders and stuff for the spring and summer work yeah. uh, our main concern is our honestly our customers i mean because you know there's a 
uh, you know what they're going through right now, and uh, it's tough to see, you know. And, and, but I, again, I, I am optimistic as I can be. I, I, I really believe that we're going to come out of this and, and, and uh, stronger than ever. So good. Well, listen, Sprig, I, I, it's been an honor to talk to you, man. Like I said, I've known your reputation, known about you, and been to schools that you're at way before I, I got a chance to meet you. Uh, so I appreciate you spending your time and giving some of your insight and your knowledge and experience uh, with us. And thank you very much for your time. No, th- thank you. And, and if you don't mind checking out my work on my Universal Floors Instagram page, I try to keep it interesting. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely check it out. Absolutely. It's it, great. It was it, great talking to somebody with this much passion. I mean, you can hear the passion that you have for floors in your voice. This was just great. Thank you very much. Well, I'll tell you what, it, it, it's kind of unusual. Maybe it's not unusual. When I literally, you know, a little kid gets excited for Christmas time. Well, when we got a special job. I, I literally get excited and I'm like, is this a little strange or is it just, just me? But it's, it's once the customer sees that they love it. I mean, they love it. They, they like this, this guy is, uh, this guy's into it. But I appreciate all you guys too. I, I, I had a fantastic time talking with you, and hopefully uh, you'll have me back sometime. Fair enough. Well, you got it. Thanks, sir. Okay. So this has been another episode of On the Forum with Wayne Highlander and Rob Johnson. Please stay tuned for another episode.